0: This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library main branch and the generosity of listeners
1: like you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. (laughs)
0: Razib Khan's Unsupervised Learning you know that genetics plays a huge role in our health, and more people are using genetic testing to determine risk for diseases like cancer for themselves and their kids than ever before. So I want to tell you about ORCID. It's the only company that does whole genome testing for embryos, testing before your child is born. If you're doing IVF, this is a clear choice now because now you can reduce risk for thousands of single-gene disorders, including heritable forms of autism, pediatric cancers, and birth defects. Check them out at ORCIDHealth.com. Hey, everybody. Uh, well, welcome to the Unsupervised Learning Podcast. And, you know, uh, it is unsupervised in some ways. You never know where I'm going to go. Uh, so today I am talking to David Lightbringer. David has a couple of YouTube channels. Uh, he has one channel uh, that's devoted to A Song of Ice and Fire um, just and Dance of Dragons and Game of Thrones, everything. Everything related to, like, Martinverse, okay? Um, and I'll put a link to that, to that there. He also has another channel called Mythic Concepts. Uh, which uh, has a bunch of stuff about India and um David brings um a lot of this I think you know mythic concepts like uh, you know his learning his anthropological and historical knowledge he actually does bring it to song of ice and fire and his analysis and so I know some of you um okay I know enough about you listener to know that a lot of you are actually interested in fantasy um you know I did have Ross Douthat on to talk about Tolkien, and that's come up multiple times. So um, I know that I'm going to have an audience from you guys, but for the rest of you, um, the reason I want to talk about David is because there is a whole world, this whole intellectual world um, on YouTube, and as I was talking to David before he came on, a lot of it is, you know, maybe it's not that high quality, there's a huge range of production values, but some of it gets really deep you know it's like hours and hours of content now i love writing essays and i love text cuz i am gen-, gen x and that's just how i roll but um there are certain things with maps and with visualizations that you know youtube actually does do a better job it is actually um the medium that should probably be used so uh, you know i want to like you know shed light on some of this um through what is a massive pop culture phenomenon uh game of thrones um a song of ice and fire George R. R. Martin's series that started in the mid-90s, um, was a series of books and then became a television show, the biggest television show on HBO, and now has resulted in a spin-off, uh, Dance with Dragons, which is based on, you know, kind of a narrative history that Martin wrote a couple of years ago. And I did a podcast about that, or I I read all of those for a podcast on the genetics of Game of Thrones for the insight, which is my previous uh, podcast before unsupervised learning. Compared to David, uh <laughs> I do not have much a song of fi- uh, a song of ice and fire learning, but you know, uh, compared to the average person on the street, um, I'm no slouch. Um, I was um, super obsessed with Martin when I was younger, and I want to talk about my background really quickly, and I'll have David go into it before we get into it. Just uh, so the listeners know, uh, you know, I read a Game of Thrones. Um, Some of you guys know this story. And if you listen to previous podcasts about, you know, from the insight, and I know some of you carry over from the insight, you know this. I read Game of Thrones January 1999, just kind of on a lark. Um, Ended up failing a biochem midterm. Emailed George R. R. Martin. He did like apologize six months later. He did, he would respond to emails back then. Um, And then um, uh, Clash of Kings had just come out. So I bought the hardcover and I read it on Monday, Monday evening, Tuesday. And then I waited. Um, it was like a year and a half and I special ordered from England, Storm wow. of Swords, I wanted to get it three months early and then it started taking longer and longer and longer and I went from being a teenager
1: to now. Look, <laughs> and if, so, if you brought me here to be a punching bag and to answer for George R. Martin's tardiness then no, I'm no, going to no. pass the buck.
0: <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, no one can answer for that and I'm not, <laughs> I am mean, not like a massive hater about that because you know reality is I actually you know, can't other stuff
1: going. On. It, I think if you if you want to go there, but, but carry on with your monologue. Yeah, I don't think that's where you want. No, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Go. No, no, we can we can talk about that later. We'll talk about that sort of stuff later. Cause, but um, because we do have a little outline here. But you know, I just want to say. So I, I was into the books, and then what happened in in early in the early teens is um. You know, I had these friends in grad school and um uh, they started watching this show on HBO called Game of Thrones. I was like, whatever, man, because like I read the books. <laughs> you know, I was one of those guys. <laughs> I read the books and, you know, like you know, some of my friends they were watching, I'm like, you know, you're a very attractive blonde woman, and you're talking about John of John Snow. Something is you know what I'm saying? It's like something is wrong with the universe. Like it was like you know that's our thing. So I I had like a lot of um I was kind of snobby, kind of resentful about Game of Thrones. And then um, what happened is they outran uh, the books. And at this point, I was a dad. You know, I was you know expecting my second child.
1: Can I pause you? Well, so you, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned you're recently divorced. So by now, I, I hope you figured out that. The fact that the blonde girl wants to talk about Jon Snow is a good thing.
0: I'm not going to comment on that at
1: all right now. <laughs> I follow you on you get... Instagram. <laughs> Bro, you get me in trouble, but. Um... <laughs> I'm right, going right for it.
0: Yeah. So um, in any case, uh, so what I was, um, you know, saying about that, though, is. Uh, so it became like this big pop culture thing. And I look, I i don't know if george is going to finish i don't have that much time so i was like i started watching it unfortunately i think i started watching it i started watching it in like what 2016 under 2015 this is right about when it kind of was maybe a little past its peak and then there's the last two seasons so that's the whole thing um and then i kind of got to know david through um dance with Dragons. And as some of you know, I am interested in a little bit of the genetic stuff. It's really, George R. Martin's world is really, really um, genealogically informed and I am a geneticist. So there's like that weird confluence that happens um, between my, you know, song of ice and fire um, interests and, you know, what I've been doing uh, professionally uh, for the last like 15 years, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty into it, but at this point in my life, uh, you know, I'm not a completist. Uh, I have read most of the, not, I mean, I, you know, I read the, the two new, the, the blood and fire, and then there's gonna be another one coming out. And then, you know, I'll read a lot of the extra stuff, but, um, you know, I, I consume content now. That's what I'm going to say. I consume content to learn from people like David. And so that's why I am. And that's why I want to have him on. Um, just, interested personally aside from what's going on with YouTube and this world of you know information creation this content creation that's basically uh, fodder for infovores you know like infovores like me you know if you're listening to unsupervised learning podcast you're an infovore you know and so um this is part of the whole media gambit now and you know we just need to take take it in and figure out what's going on and make the best of it so david um talk about i want to know like you know how long have you been into this like you know, were you into it even earlier than me or did you come on late? No, you got I'm- me
1: by a couple of years. And I, I'm glad you introed with the lens of the, the YouTube phenomena. And I, I really am excited to get to that uh, discussion. But yeah, no, I, I read the books right be- about a year before the show came out, which was 2012. So I read them in 2011. Dance was not out yet. Um, I had been a fantasy reader growing up and had sort of gotten out of it a bit. But I was in the bookstore just sort of looking for something new to read, and I saw a sticker on the front of a Game of Thrones that said, soon to be an HBO show. like, well, if they're going to make a show out of a fantasy novel, I better read it first so I can see how they screwed up. And uh, 10 years later, uh, (laughs) we we have Daenerys burning King's Landing and me making a 90-minute documentary uh, about why that's not going to happen the same way in the books and why they got her character wrong and stuff. So that was my – I've been – A reader since then, but really my story begins in 2015, um, where I was still mildly under the influence of Graham Hancock, who I continue to insist uh, brings a valuable lens to ancient mythology, even if his theories about Lost Atlantis are not so solid as they once seemed uh, to my young mind. But um, different topic. The point is uh, mythology, disaster mythology. Um, you know, as you know, Graham Hancock is chasing down a lot of legends about disasters and trying to draw implications from them. Um, and that turned me on to the idea that ancient man was encoding disasters and world-shaping cataclysmic events, the movements of the heavens, the cycle of the seasons, et cetera, into mythology, which is basic knowledge. That's just where I came across it, I guess. But I specifically am very well-versed in comets and dragons and that kind of symbolism. So then one day, I'm listening to uh, a podcast about A Song of Ice and Fire. I had read the books maybe once. And I heard the thing about the moon cracked. One day, the moon wandered too close to the sun. It cracked. And dragons you know, came forth from the moon, and they drank the fire of the sun. And that's why dragons breathe flame. And then separately, in the Azor High Myth, which is about the long night, Nissa Nissa, There's also something about the moon cracking. So I'm thinking about this. I'm like, wait a minute. Dragons coming from a moon that had a cataclysm of some kind. Well, that's just falling pieces of flaming rock because, of course, comets and meteors are described as dragons by the ancient Chinese, uh, Sumerians and other people like that. So then you have the long night myth that's talking about a moon cracking. And it's like, wait, if there's pieces of moon rock falling onto the earth maybe that's what caused the global darkness. And that was the Mm -hmm. genesis of my entire channel. So it started by uh, breaking down the ancient legends, basically like a cultural anthropologist would, and assuming that there's some, if they're talking about the moon cracking, that it's not gibberish, that something happened. There was some cataclysm. And then separately, we're looking around for the cause of a global darkness. So you start putting that together and you can see that it's kind of like the flood myth. Uh, it's a universal myth the long night all the different cultures observed it but they have different stories about it and by reconstructing the stories we can start to you know piece together the ancient history in a loose in a loose way
0: sure sure there's an underlying there's an underlying system and underlying order there like it does come from ultimately mark martin's mind or he at least like um he at least gives the imprimatur of legitimacy because I think sometimes other people give him ideas and he's like, oh yeah, yeah let's do that, right? Um, but I, I do want to say you, you brought up Graham Hancock and I've had discussions with friends about Graham and his influence. And, you know, I don't, ag- you know, I don't normally do the, uh, I don't agree with, uh, like, you know, I don't Deep agree working. with so and so. Yeah, I don't like to do that sort of thing because I'll just be like, you know, I agree with this or I agree with that, but whatever. But, but you know, Graham says a lot of things, and he's famous for a lot of sensational claims. A lot of them I don't believe. On the other hand, on the other hand, um, there are some things that we have discovered recently. Uh, so you know, if pe- if you're listening to this podcast, you know all about ancient DNA. You know all that's been discovered. You know, and. Um, some of the stuff that we've discovered is pretty amazing mm-hmm. and it's reflected in the folklore. It's reflected in the mythology. And, you know, people would, or, you know, or like to give yeah. an older example, you know, in the mid 19th century, they were like, Oh, well, you know, the Trojan war is like a myth and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, right. Schliemann just right. disco- mm-hmm. discovers Troy and like, okay, like that whole world did exist actually. So the mythology preserves things and I'm, I will give them um, a quick, I, I mentioned this before. So listeners will know like, Four years ago, I was reading the Mahabharata for the first time, the Indian epic mm-hmm. poem. And it ha- it's, you know, it's like a pastiche. It has a lot of elements, and some of it is very old. There's a part of it where they talk about um, someone copulating during the day, someone having sex during the day and how that's immoral. Mm-hmm. And I just like stopped because I had recently read – I think it was the Fagel's translation of the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um, and Helen in Paris, it says in there that they copulated during the day. And that's and that's immoral. Uh-huh. And so I was like, "Wait a second!
1: Wait a second! Wait
0: a second! This this is definitely a remembrance of something on the Eurasian steppe, then Proto something
1: Europeans. The <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, this is the sort of thing." that that happens um, when you read these mythologies, like you see fragments that tie back to something earlier. And so, you know, I'm also interested in evolution and there's an evolutionary tree of cultures and societies and how they're expanding. And so with your analysis on your channel, you're doing the same thing, except you're doing it with a secondary world, as we would call it, a uh, world, not earth. It has its own history. It has its own geography, but, you know, it's fantastical, but it's not disordered. Um, it's intelligible, and what you're trying to do is kind of flesh out and expose the world. Now, a lot of people they just want to read the stories, and Tolkien talked about this. There's sure. some people that want to read the stories, and there's other people that want to read the appendices. I want to read the appendices. You want to read the appendices. You actually are extending the appendices in some ways, filling things in, right? Again, yeah. I, I want, I want, you, I want you to talk. So you have like a couple of uh, recent, um, recent, um, you know. Over the last couple of months, actually, uh, there's White Walkers, and you had Who Built Moat Kaelin, and then the Timeline Heresy. Um,
1: yeah, the Timeline Act Heresy of the is the one I thought you'd really like, yeah.
0: Yeah, I did, and I did, and it like made sense because you brought a lot of things together, and basically it was like, you know, there's all these disaggregated uh, myths, uh, fragments of legends, and also, you know, um, in most of the, the novels themselves, like I don't know about all the extraneous books and whatnot, you know, these myths and legends are usually – outlined in a couple of sentences part of a paragraph it's not like you have the whole thing and so you have just part of it and so they're kind of like these things on the horizon you don't see the whole mountain range so to speak and what you did is you created a hypothesis or a model is what we would say maybe a model to explain all of this the model itself was naturalistic and i don't know if you want to talk about it a little bit but basically it takes something that was fantastical supernatural um I'm not going to say incoherent but a la carte and kind of disaggregated
1: esoteric t- yeah
0: yeah it snaps it together and it makes it makes sense of everything i mean some of this stuff man like i got to say um yeah you're you're you are a song and F- ice and fire nerd cuz like you have like a list of like 11 you know facts that you're bringing to the fore and i'm like you know where are you where are you finding this you know but um and I, I would like to ask you about that but talk a little bit about the pack talk about a little bit about your method and how you do it because uh, i think it's fascinating and um you're not the only channel that does this sort of stuff uh, i'm not interested in too much of quote pop culture so i don't peruse yeah. a lot of it but there's a lot of content out there um obviously i'm interested in your content because of what you're talking about but um this is a whole thing now out there it's way I don't know. It's just a way of like kind of intellectually analyzing something that's in our culture, and I think it's uh, you know pretty ubiquitous
1: now. Well, it's it's kind of like the best AP literature class that you had or college lit class, like where you got into a book that you really liked. You're in a good class with a good professor. You had a good conversation going, and you really got into the stuff behind the story in a way that expanded your consciousness of yourself in the world. That's the experience that we're going for. Uh, we being YouTube, you know, a lit, lit analysis, I guess, uh, analysts or whatever. With George Martin, though, the reason why you can spend so much time on it, as I have with my channel, I feel, and not run out of stuff to talk about is because of the layer of mythical storytelling. Um, and I really, uh, I wrote an essay a long time ago called George Martin is Writing Modern Mythology. And what I mean by that is just like when you read a story about persephone and hades like it's understood like there are there is a surface level story about abduction and this and that and like there are interesting things about that but it's a it's about nature cycle right it's it's about the spring and and people coming up with a way to understand the movements of nature and the sort of uh, imbue it with the sense of sacredness that that it has um that's why it's it's more helpful to have a mythical story about the cycle of the seasons, maybe, than just a plain old explanation. You know, both of them are helpful, but so the thing, Razib, the thing that's that is unique and explosive about George's writing that is like the reason why somebody should maybe take the time to go deeper and listen to my podcast if they've just enjoyed the story, is because it's not just those ancient legends. Every scene in the story. Is paralleling the archetypal legends. The best example of this is Danny hatching the dragons. Okay. So I just mentioned the moon cracking, right? Earlier in a Game of Thrones, Danny hears about the origin of dragons. Once there was a second moon in the sky, he wandered too close to the sun, it cracked open, dragons poured forth. Okay. And that's why they breathed flame. Then the whole book, Drogo's calling Danny, moon of my life. And Danny calls Drogo, my sun and stars. And the Dothraki believe the sun and moon are god and goddess, man and wife. So it sets up this idea. The Call and the Khaleesi are like the sun and the moon. So then at the end of the story, Danny the moon wanders into the fire of her son, Kaldrogo, because she walks into his burning pyre. And that's when the dragon eggs crack open and hatch, just like the myth says, the dragon's coming from the moon. So without going any further into that whole topic, you can see that there is a parallelism between the ancient legends that people are told and then the main drama of the story. And it really encourages you to try to figure out what the author is saying with these parallels. It's like, Oh, they're not just ancient legends. They're commentary on the main characters and what they're doing. And because Martin is a good storyteller, it's always anchored to the actual personal character conflicts. And so what you were saying earlier about some people want to read the appendices and not, even if you never get into all this stuff, There's a reason why A Song of Ice and Fire is so compelling and has such a unique epic feel and why it feels almost familiar like a folktale. It's because there are these layers of mythical storytelling underneath. So even if you don't unravel that, that epicness comes across and also puts a consistency across 41 characters, different continents some of the actions and the main archetypal figures and cycles are similar and can be compared and paralleled. And so that gives the the whole work cohesiveness, even though it's so splayed out plot-wise.
0: Yeah, uh, So this is, you know, you were saying, we alluded to Tolkien. Um, This was his, you know, aside from being an academic, a Beowulfist, an old English, you know, scholar, uh, he created this whole world and then he decided to write some stories in it. And so, obviously, he had the languages we all know about the languages, but you know Tolkien had the history of middle earth and and all of this cosmogony um so you know, I have this note here, like you know does george martin George R. R. Martin know what's going on? How conscious is all of this? I know you know I had a chat with him once like twenty years ago on okay. you know a forum, and you know he was very straightforward like oh the dothraki are part Alad and part this and mm-hmm. so yeah he, so he, he had it like he didn't hesitate so that mm-hmm. to me indicated on some level on some of this stuff okay this is just all pre-planned he doesn't you don't necessarily see what's under the hood like what the sources are because like well it's a fantasy like you don't want to know that this character all the time is based on so and so but there's a lot of aspect and like martin um is a deep reader of fantasy he comes out of the con world the convention world yeah uh, and so there's there are certain things where it's like i'm not you know, I don't have that much time, so I don't like pay that much attention to it anymore. But like, there are things where it's like some certain motifs, certain elements. I think he's like doing a callback to something that the nerds, oh, yeah. like Easter egg. You know what I'm saying? And so I only get a few. What of them. he's doing is
1: almost yeah. like syncretization. Really, he's like, what if I took my favorite Marvel comic stories and characters, and my favorite myths from around the world, and medieval history, and all my favorite fantasy stories, and a few science fiction stories, and just. Put it all together. So Jon Snow is Mithras, he's Darth Vader, he's the Corn King, he's all kinds he's King Arthur, he's all kinds of stuff. Like it's and he 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 anchors it all on the symbols. So Lightbringer is a flaming sword. So he goes around and pulls from the the flaming sword in the Garden of Eden, King Arthur's sword, um uh Sun Wukong's magic dragon spear, if you know what that is. All kinds of magic swords, as well as uh, Stormbringer from Moorcock. Uh, Tolkien's got a couple meteor swords. Um, he puts he he thinks about all of those things. And Lightbringer represents he, it's all like a family tree. Lightbringer and Dawn are just the latest generation, and so he always gives respect to all those. And so with with Tolkien and Martin's world building, it's done completely differently because Martin is a gardener. Like you said, Tolkien made a world first, made a language, then he wrote a story in it. Martin just started writing a story and he fleshes out the world as he goes. The way he does it is by all those influences. Okay. So the ancient Valerian, pre Valerian Empire from Ashai, the great empire of the dawn, that's just Numenor. So when he needs to make the ancient, like, oh, where did the Danes and those mysterious and the Valerians come from? Some ancient collapsed empire. Well, it's it's a combination of Atlantis and Numenorian uh storytelling. And if you look, it's like the the characters are parallel. Bloodstone Emperor is like uh Ar-Pherazan, and Amethyst Empress is like uh Miriel. And it's it tracks very well.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: make <making a> it. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> no, I, mean, I didn't like make that. Well, I mean, I hadn't thought about. Well, well, I didn't know. This I didn't check
1: know that. So House Dane came to Westeros by following the track of a falling star. House Dane, they should be House Duna Dane or Duna Dine, as it's pronounced, because that's who they are. They're the Duna Dane.
0: Oh.
1: Duna Dine, sorry.
0: Wow, this is like this is pretty intense. I mean, so so, you know, you're telling me this. Like, has Martin confirmed this to you? Like, are you
1: in touch with him? I'm no, not at all. I mean, I'm psychically in touch with the man, I think, but uh not not okay. no, no. He, yeah and he never would I mean, he, he, yeah you know, he's I'm,
0: kind of said similar he has said things to this effect though I have heard him say this i mean he does he is like he does mind folklore, he does mind stories he has he has so much um in his brain i mean he is a history history nerd you know and then sometimes like i think like he's almost uh almost kind of throw people off the the scent where it's like ah, i don't i think i think they were right on that man I think you're trying to like
1: you know i don't know. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, like any author, he doesn't want to give away, he'll, he wants to talk about his world, but then he'll come up to a point where it's like, oh, well, you should discuss that on the forums, Uh, who knows, you know, because yeah, you don't want to give away certain things, but he does answer questions like he told us. where.